The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Hello and good afternoon and welcome back to Leadership Matters. Um, this is Jenny Fruma with the Albert Jewish Family and Children's Service in West Palm Beach, Florida. Unfortunately, Linda Schub, my co-host, is not going to be able to join us today. However... I have great pleasure in introducing my guest today, Chuck Caputo. Chuck, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really thrilled that you're on our show today. And before I tell the listeners a little bit about you, I just want to really be out there and make sure that you know, Chuck, that I've been waiting for a long time to have you as a guest on the show. (laughs) Well, you must not have been able to know how to find me because I would jump at the opportunity to participate with you anytime. Thank you. Um, Chuck is currently the Chief Program Officer at the Long Island GLBT Services Network, and you oversee all programs provided by the organization, and um, these are for people throughout the lifespan. Correct, yes. We uh, have a lot of services for youth, uh, which we uh, consider 13 uh, to 21, and then for folks 21 up to 50, and what we consider to be old, although I'm hesitant to say that, (laughs) but uh, 50-plus. Uh, we mm-hmm. consider to be uh, sort of our older folks. So, yes, we do uh, provide services throughout the lifespan. And the other thing that's interesting about you, Chuck, is that you've been a vice president at the New York Fund- Fondling. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, correct, Foundling. Mm-hmm. Foundling Hospital. I have an accent and I talk funny. <laughs> um, and was the executive director of the Vincent J. Fontana Center for Child Protection. Correct. So that's kind of a varied career, if you will. Yes, a little bit. Yes, I did a lot of direct care work um, with different populations and then have um, really been been blessed to have some positions that uh, in very, very large organizations in New York City that were in human services, mental health, developmental disabilities, uh, child welfare. Um, So I've had some some wonderful experiences. And we met when you were the director of the council on accreditations training institute. Correct. I spent about seven or eight years uh, working with the Council on Accreditation, which is an accrediting body that accredits nonprofits, and uh, uh, did various things there. Um, Running the Training Institute was one and had a chance to travel around the country and throughout Canada and provide lots of training and support and consultation to private and public organizations who were interested in going through an accreditation process. And um, I've had on the show before uh, Richard Klarberg, who is currently the CEO of the Council on Accreditation. And um, I think the listeners who have heard me before really know that I'm incredibly committed to accreditation as a nonprofit and particularly human service organization. So I think when we really start talking about culture, and that's today's topic, is leaders creating and sustaining organizational culture and change for effective performance, 
I think we can, I would like for us also to talk a little bit about that because you really took the lead in um, uh, kind of forging the relationships with and certainly doing all the training for us as peers as we became peers for the U.S. Marine Corps and U.S. Navy. Correct, yes. A, a very, very exciting uh a project that came out of the, my involvement with the Council on Accreditation and the U.S. military inviting us as industry reps and industry experts to join them in putting together a process where they could look at the quality of services being provided in their counseling centers. And I remember all of those conversations and particularly the training around preparing us for a military culture. Yes, and how different that was for most of us. Uh, most of the folks that we were able to recruit who had interest in providing that kind of service within the military had not had military backgrounds. So it certainly was an interesting experience to uh, go to uh, uh, military bases to provide the training and learn from the military folks what it was all about to be uh, doing that work in a military setting, which was very obviously a very different culture than most of our organizations. It, it really was, and um, you know, being a naturalized citizen, it, it had particularly me, particular meaning for me uh, to be able to give of give of my time and energy and, and resources that way, knowing that I would probably never quote join the military. <laughs> yes, me too. It was a great, it was a very very powerful experience, and you know that when we, you and I have had a chance to sort of reconnect over the years, it's something that has stuck with us uh, very mm -hmm. deeply, and I think a lot of it was because of being exposed to and learning about the culture and learning a lot of aspects about how the military implements some of their operations, and that was very exciting and very meaningful. Right, and so you know, I, I think I speak on both, behalf of both of us to really thank everybody who serves in the military and who makes um, our everyday a much safer place to be, so thank you for oh, that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I never had such a, a powerful and, and meaningful experience. It was probably one of my highlights of my, my professional career was to have that opportunity to work with that group, and uh, my, my views and my uh, uh, support for the military is uh, unbelievable because of that. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's all related what we're speaking to in terms of leaders creating and sustaining organizational culture and, of course, change for effective performance. As a leader in your community now or in any other position you've had, either formal or informal, what kinds of prior experiences, you mentioned a few of them, do you think has really prepared you for your role? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I've, I've been really um, blessed to have opportunities to participate in a lot of training around this topic, which I think is, is something that really has influenced me uh, in my thinking. Um, uh, as you know, um, but our listeners don't, my, I'm also a very, very big continuous quality improvement guy, um, and I did a lot of reading and have uh, done a lot of training around CQI theory and um, and that's very much to me connected to uh, uh, certainly a, a, a technique that I feel good leaders um, really use. Um, I think watching great leaders and having an opportunity to work for great leaders has um, certainly influenced my background. Um, and also watching bad leaders, as weird as that may sound, you know, there's just so much that you can learn from folks that you really kind of, you know, had a feeling weren't necessarily the best of leaders. Um, I think that... Another piece that was really, really important in my background was to have great supervision. And so training and supervision and CQI is probably something I'm going to say a lot today because I really feel like those are very, very important pieces to culture. How do you see them all related? 
You know, I really do see them all related. I think, I think as we talk more about sort of maybe what culture is and, and how leaders participate in setting culture, um, I think we also um, need to talk about how to sustain cultures once you have them in place and cultures that you um, support that are in place. And I think, you know, CQI and training and supervision are really great ways to sort of help sustain culture. Um, and culture is ever-changing, and I think that those tools and techniques are really ways that um, organizations can stay on top of where they might need to go and how they might need to change, which really makes them competitive in the marketplace. And I think that those techniques kind of force those issues to stay current and on people's radar. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you talk about competitive advantage because I think um, particularly when we're talking about nonprofits or even public organizations, we tend not to always think about that. Uh, I think sometimes leaders come to their organizational culture saying, well, we just provide excellent service, and that's all we really need to be thinking about. Yeah, and I think over the years that's really shifted, hasn't it? And I think that Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways people never did pay attention to the idea that we could incorporate some traditional business thinking into our nonprofits. And, you know, in, in many nonprofit organizations, there really is consumer choice. And maybe a while back we never really thought of it that way or it wasn't necessarily that way. But I think as time goes on, we see that that, that sometimes is the case, and it really forces us to think about, you know, techniques and the ways that people think about customers in other industries. So I have seen over, over my uh, course of my sort of professional life where there's really been a change in the thinking around that. Then that really is interesting. And I, I wonder how much, since we're talking about them being really related, how much of the CQI or continuous quality improvement, which we sometimes now affectionately call per- performance quality improvement, um, needs to be so much more part of our business model so that we can maintain a more competitive advantage, whether we're out there fundraising, whether we're out there trying to attract more consumers to our services. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%, and I think it needs to become more. And I think that as much as it's built into some of our contracts now and it's something that we talk about um, and people aren't necessarily blown away if you say CQI, although a lot of people still are, um, I think there's a tremendous need for training and for really thinking about CQI. And I think the, the whole idea of, you know, looking at metrics and using metrics and looking at outcomes um, is completely linked to this competitive advantage idea. Um, it is really something to be able to go to a potential funder and say, hey, look, here's what I can tell you. If, if I implement a program this way, here's what my data looks like, and here's what I can tell you is going to happen to people who come and serve us. And it really is very much a business kind of thinking applied to the, the, the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Have you um, been engaged at all within your organization or with colleagues around uh, taking that to kind of a different level around community impact or social impact? You know, it's a place where I think we need to invest more time and resources because I, I think that the potential to, to really do that in a powerful way is there. I don't. I have not participated as well as I would like to in those kinds of efforts. I think looking at, you know, again, looking at data and looking at outcomes and looking at the impact, um, and when you collectively kind of look at that in an area, mm-hmm. you can really make some strong statements about what we do for community. Mm-hmm. 
I know that, that we've started engaging in some of those conversations and some of our funders are um, asking a lot of questions about community impact. And just like when we come back in a little while and really start talking about organizational culture and how one defines it and what the, all of that means, um, being related to the CQI piece or being accountable, if you will, or really understanding the impact that we have both internally and within the organization, within the organization and in the community, and some of those metrics, um, I think we're going to be really challenged to do some transformational thinking about that. Yeah, I agree with you. Great stuff. Which is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. So... I want to hear about those bad leaders a little bit more. <laughs> well, we've all seen them, haven't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess we know it when we see it. I'm not sure how, how we can really uh, put, put something on it in terms of really being able to uh, see it before you get into it. Um, there, are, there are people who are in, I think, very powerful uh, uh, positions um, for whatever reason, and, you know, they're not necessarily <laughs> uh, great leaders, um, and I think that, you know, I, something I was really thinking about today was the organizations that I've had the pleasure of working with, um, you know, the ones that I look back on and think about what a terrific experience it was, it was related to the leadership. It wasn't related to the salary. It wasn't related to the number of vacation days. It was related to the culture. It was related to the way leaders in that organization set culture and sort of how they operated. So, you know, I know that I've had some folks in the past that um, set cultures that didn't really correspond to what I wanted in the workplace. But working for them and watching them really taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you're open to really learning, there are always opportunities, both good and bad, to learn. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was as powerful and impactful to watch somebody uh, do something that you just felt wasn't right or didn't make you feel good or, or you knew didn't make employees to feel, you know, feel good, um, it, was, it was okay to watch that and to be a part of that because it made me really think a lot about what I would do if I were in one of those higher positions mm-hmm. or how I wanted to establish culture or what I wanted employees to get out of the experience of working for me. Yeah. This has been a great first segment, Chuck, and thank you. We're going to take a break in just a second, and um, when we come back, I'd really like for us to kind of dig deep and get into organizational culture, what it means to you, how we um, create it, and uh, further on, how we sustain it. Wonderful. Thanks. So we're going to take a break now. Um, We'll be back in just a few minutes with Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, and Inspiring Solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. 
That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hi, and welcome back to Leadership Matters. I'm Jenny Fruma, and my guest today with me, and I'm so thrilled that you are, Chuck, is Chuck Caputo. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. And we're talking about um, one of my favorite topics, I must say, and that is organizational culture, how we create it, how we sustain it, and how we change for effective performance. Just before we went to break, Chuck, we were talking about getting really into kind of the topic and kind of, you know, deep dive maybe, unpeeling it a little bit, unpacking organizational culture. And since this is really where you live, please tell us what you mean, what it means to you. Yeah, I mean, organizational culture is just so critically important to me. And what it means to me is... You know, what, what are our values as an organization? What are our beliefs? What are our norms? Um, what kinds of behaviors do we accept? Um, what is, uh, where is there common understanding around our um, actions and activities? What are our assumptions? What are our beliefs? And I think that, you know, this is tough stuff, um, and, but it's really important stuff. Um, I, I, and I think leaders you know, have played a very critical role. I think the board plays a critical role, and I think the leaders play a critical role in establishing that culture, sustaining it, and moving it when they need to move it. And being able to read that well, I think, and implement that well, that process well, um, really does lead to the better running organizations. And I, and I think culture, like it is, like we go to multicultural training. I live in New York City. New York City is obviously an amazingly diverse uh, place, and we're constantly striving to stay current and, and knowledgeable about the various 
uh, folks who live in New York City and who come to us for services um, because of their different cultural backgrounds. It's the same thing, and it's, it's really establishing what that organization's culture is all about. Um, and, you know, a big piece that I was actually thinking about today is how culture is set in so many ways and how staff really um, look to the leaders and watch the leaders and listen to the leaders and how, what an important role it is for leaders to be cognizant of their impact on culture. And it can be things like how people dress. It can be uh, different sayings, different quotes that leaders use. Um, I know that um, I worked for somebody not long ago whose uh, one of their favorite sayings was, you know, is the juice worth, worth the squeeze when we were talking about, you know, looking at monies and, and resources. And I know that, you know, after hearing that several times, you would hear people, middle management folks, saying that in their staff meetings. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I, I really think um, um, that it, it really filters down, and I think that staff are watching leaders and look to leaders to establish those, those cultural pieces. So it sounds like it happens in terms of behaviors. It happens in terms, I would imagine, in the unspoken words when people Absolutely. don't act on certain things. And I really like that you mentioned the board of directors as well because I think they have such a, an important part to play within governance and establishing some of the culture. In your opinion, how does culture relate to mission? Oh, I think I think it's a, a direct link. Um, I think that you know, mission. You know, I, I, you know mission um, to me is is critically important. Although, if you you know read fifty nonprofit organizations' mission statements, you're going to get a lot of similarity, right? Because we're sort of all in there to help maximize people and and maximize people's experience and et cetera, et cetera. I really like when you break that down even a little bit further and you really kind of look at vision and you kind of look at values. Um, and I know an organization that I worked in, you know, we had, we had five core values. And not only were those values posted, not only did we have a mission integration committee that really looked at the, at the values and the mission and how that becomes alive in the operations, um, we also um, had recognition programs and reward kind of programs around people living the mission or people living the values. And, and, you know, people would talk about their colleagues and experiences that they saw their colleagues engage in that were sort of outside the job description, but really, really exemplified the values of the organization. And, you know, so I think... That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to really, to say to people, like, you know, find a colleague doing something that exemplifies our values and write something up and then we would, you know, reward people and have a, have, have a celebration and the, you know, executive director Mm -hmm. would go and it was a big deal and it really made people understand that those values and that mission, um, is really important to us. One of the other things um, that I keep thinking about also, and I, I don't know if it transcends all kinds of settings, but I know for us, we talk a lot about philosophy of practice as one of those basic values. Oh, I think, it's, I think that's a critical, critical piece. You know, I, I used to do a lot of work in, in CQI around using a logic model, and, and the model that I would help people kind of work through had one, one question that sort of talked about what our shared philosophical sort of underpinning is in providing the services. And, you know, we would do this exercise where we would kind of identify who our, who our consumer, who our client is, what they bring to the table, 
And then after defining that, we would sort of talk about what is our program and what does our program provide for those folks and see if there was a disconnect. And then we would, we would talk about, so what's our philosophy around providing these services? And so if you think about it, if you're doing a, for instance, uh, pregnancy prevention program, and you can define who your clients are and what they bring to the table and what their challenges are. And then when you're talking to staff to say, what's our philosophy about pregnant teens? Mm-hmm. Um, imagine the conversation that you can get. And a lot of times people would come up and say after we would do something like that, you know, by asking that question, I realize I don't share the same philosophy that my colleagues do. This is not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. And so how powerful is that, where you're really kind of digging de- deep in terms of philosophy, vision, uh, values, um, and how that would impact culture? Imagine having, you know, two or three staff out of ten who philosophically differ from what the organization is kind of saying is their value around this program. Uh, or for the other eight, if I do my math correctly, <laughs> to feel incredibly validated. Exactly. And that they, in fact, are in the right place, and then does that lend itself to sustaining culture? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, sometimes what happens, if you don't go through that kind of a process of doing, like, a logic model, but sometimes what will happen is, you know, a lot of times people will ask me, so so what do you, how do you deal with that difficult person, right, that difficult staff mm-hmm. person? And a lot of times what happens is if there's enough folks who buy into the, the culture and the values, um, they'll, they'll really sort of, like, work that through because the more and more that person who doesn't share it sort of does become an outsider, and they either sort of adapt to, you know, um, the, 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 the culture, or they kind of like find themselves needing to go somewhere else. And sometimes that's really, really okay. I'm in the process of that, you know, I'm talking to somebody right now where it just really seems like it's the time to kind of like move into a different direction. And it's like, so let's have that conversation in a real professional and adult way and work towards that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And as you're saying that, I'm reminded that Sometimes at our organization, and we've grown like 44% in the last five years, so we have a lot of relatively new staff, although the majority of us who are in kind of leadership, you know, formal leadership positions have been around mm, an average of like 15 years, 16 years. Um, But what, as you're saying that, what it reminds me of is what I observe amongst our staff, particularly with new people coming on, is that they watch them really quite carefully to see if they quote by the culture. Yes. And it's sometimes very difficult to articulate what that process is like, and yet it does have an unfolding process. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I, I think I think that you know my experience is very similar. I think that that's one of the things that we would watch and t- sort of take a look at. Um, and then I think it's contingent on leadership to also think about. I, I mean, what I think about is that people are are pretty open to learning and adopt uh, adapting to culture and adopting the culture. Um, how do we go about doing that? You know, how do we go about s- slowly and sort of um, strategically bringing a new person into it and and cultivating them in a way that we think we can create a a nice long relationship with that employee. Mm -hmm. What's some of the ways that you have tried to do that? You know, it's interesting because it's it's hard. Um, 
But, uh, you know, I have, I have several, actually, real, real young folks who have, are just coming out. And, you know, of course, they have the academic piece and they have mm-hmm. the, uh, the book-wise uh, piece. And now they're coming in to work at, a, at an organization, that, uh, a nonprofit organization. And, and I think that some of their expectations are, you know, certainly not quite what the reality is. And so what I, I find that I try to do, again, is invest resources in them in training um, when they hit the door so that they can start hearing about that. Um, and I think the most important thing is to just kind of like, you gotta, you got to live it. If, if these are your values and, these are, and this is a culture piece that you want to make sure people get, you have to live it yourself. You can't, As in being authentic? Yeah, you have mm-hmm. to be authentic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're, not, when you're not, people know it. Mm-hmm. You can't stand up there and say, this is what we stand for, and then go out and, and actually practice in the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And I also think that um, whether it's a formal mentor relationship or supervisory relationship, uh, hearing, it's, I, I'm a firm believer in language and messaging and how we do some of that. It's actions as well as messaging. Absolutely. So we kind I of agree. Have, we kind of have here, uh, you know, the, the shared philosophical underpinning that no one should ever have to make a second call. So we have this whole range of services which help people during challenging times in their lives. And I think the joke is, well, it's not such a joke. It's part of the culture, which we take very seriously and very much part of our value system, is that you would never say to a client here, you need to call this other person who works at this organization. Exactly, exactly. It's, you know, my responsibility and it's a basic philosophical practice underpinning that I will help you get to the right person without you having to make that second call. So usually you only get to say that once and then, you know, the culture kind of really reinforces that it's not part of the practice. Yeah, absolutely. I can give you another example. Before you do... Yes. This is how quickly these segments go. We're going to ah. take a break, come back, hold your thought, and um, we'll be right back with uh, Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. 
How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hi, welcome back. I'm Jenny Frummer, and my guest today is Chuck Caputo, and we've been having, I think, a fabulous conversation, Chuck, and thank you so much. So much. And thank you again. Um, about organizational culture, how we make changes for effective performance, and uh, sustainability in creating culture. And we, we just closed the last segment. You were talking about an example that you might have about how this really looks like when the rubber meets the road. Yeah, I just want to give another example of trying to help staff with understanding some uh, culture that uh, and a piece of the culture that is very important to me. So um, what I what I have done is I've uh, uh, made a phone call uh, to staff and you know disguised my voice, which sounds terrible, and said uh, you know I had an issue that I wanted to raise. Um, could they please point me in the direction of the person who's responsible for quality? within the organization. And it's just so interesting because almost everyone will say, oh, yes, that's Jenny. Let me connect you to Jenny. And I'll say, no, 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 stop right there. We're all responsible for quality. So the right answer was, I'm responsible for quality. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do that once it. to a new person, like you said, like you did that one, mm-hmm. pretty much one time, and people know, and they know when I'm coming down the hall and I'm going to talk about quality, whose responsibility is it for quality around here? And they all mm-hmm. say, uh, everybody's responsibility. You know, and that something so silly and sort of like, you know, it's fun and a fun kind of way mm-hmm. to do it, it sticks because yeah. people can kind of relate to it, you know? Yeah. We, we add safety fundraising, marketing, to all of everyone's responsibility. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But that becomes things, yeah, and it becomes things that people really think about when they think about their involvement at work. Like Mm -hmm. these are things that I need to pay attention to. These are things that are important to me. Mm -hmm. And in turn, that's the common ground and the common understanding. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think um, one of the pieces to... That, that I try to keep in mind is, you know, when you have these organizational cultures that really are effective and really work, 
um, the benefits are amazing. I mean, the, 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 the turnover rates and the absenteeism rates and, you know, feeling aligned with, with, the, with the performance expectations and looking at satisfaction going up and feelings of well-being going up and trusting management. I mean, there, there's just so many positive outcomes that come out of spending the time working on culture. I'm so pleased you mentioned the word trust. One of the more challenging things at an organization like ours, and I think this is true of um, organizations that tend to be more transformational than transactional, Mm. is that rarely is there a manual for how to be a professional within the organization. So true. There may be a manual, you know, how to fill out a form, how to get somebody a benefit, how, how to do a whole range of things, but how to be a professional within an organization can be really a challenge. And I'm always reminded when we bring on some new talent of how we have to really acknowledge that because we have a culture that could be so perceived as functional chaos you know, so everyone, everyone's a leader in their own right. Yes, we have a chain of command. Yes, we have an organizational chart. But in terms of resources, expertise, talent, it's all over the place. Yeah, and I so agree. How do you? How does one learn to trust the culture? Yeah, I think it's. I think that may be one of the biggest challenges that there are for leaders. I really do. Um, and I, I used to say to folks, you know. Um, as I went up the, the, the hierarchy, I guess, although I hate to even use that um, word, but as I took on more and more responsible positions, I guess, throughout my career, um, uh, the, the sort of concern and worry that I would sometimes feel about needing to micromanage because the ultimate performance was resting on my head became higher. And the reality is I think the higher up that people do go up the chain, that they need to really empower staff and they need to lose the ego and they need to lose that feeling of, oh, my gosh, you know, I am ultimately responsible for performance because then they start micromanaging and then they start intruding and then there is not trust. And I think one of the hardest things, and I still try to work on this all the time, is to sort of get out of staff's way because they are the experts. And, you know, we say that, but as you go up higher, and I think we forget it, that we were on the line. The line knows the work. And if you can help establish sort of the, you know, sort of the, the goals and sort of where we want to go in the next year, where we want to go in the next couple of years, and then teach a couple of techniques about how to sort of put that on paper and then get out of people's way, mm-hmm. it's amazing what can happen. Mm-hmm. So sometimes a culture that supports um, areas of autonomy, of uh, recognition for expertise, um, maybe skills or talents that people can bring to the table, and everyone's a resource to somebody else. And in that way creates, I'm not talking about formal leadership channels, but is recognized for being a leader. So if somebody is needing, comes to me as a supervisee and says, you know, I need to find a really good skilled nursing facility for my client ABCDE, I'm going to go, well, you know what? I really think, you know, Penny can help you with that or Elise can help you with that. And so you encourage people to forge those other relationships even though they're not technically formal supervisors. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. The the pool of talent that rests with the staff within an organization is amazing, and I think sometimes that kind of a role where you're where you're directing people in the right direction and allowing them to kind of establish those relationships. You know, the next time an issue comes up, you're more effective in trying to deal with the problem because people will remember and go to people that they know have that kind of expertise. Mm-hmm. And the culture supports that. There are some cultures where you never talk to anyone else unless it's direct line of supervision. Exactly, exactly. And I, again, I feel like part of that is sometimes our own doing sometimes, that, it's a, that we don't, we just, we kind of have concerns about our silos. And I think that organizations that work in silos, it's really difficult to work within them. Mm-hmm. I think those organizations where the leaders of the different components of the organization feel like you're talking about, that they're better organizations and staff are more satisfied. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest challenges I remember of recent, you know, in the last five, six years, um, is having someone who had come from a different organization and the language was constantly things like, am I allowed to, whatever it was. Um, I've got this long list and things that I need to talk with you about, and I've waited to discuss these with you now, when in fact there were things that were more urgent, and it could have been a phone call without this formal time set aside. And that transformation or that transition for that employee who was with us and is with us, was so difficult. Hmm. Yeah, I believe that. Very interesting. I mean, again, the power of of the culture, you know, for, for somebody to have to struggle with, you know, uh, obviously that culture was very, very different than yours. So obviously mm-hmm. that person was very nervous about just reaching out and doing what they felt may be the right thing to do. I mean, I, I tell my staff all the time, you know, I need you to be teams. I need you to feel connected. I need you to... You know, we spend a lot of time talking about how do we talk to each other, um, how do we, you know, uh, what's the expectations around how fast somebody's going to get back to each other. What, you know, those kinds of things are really important. And I think, you know, my feeling is the more you guys can talk to each other and use each other's skills and talent, the better off I am. So bottom line, do you think that culture is something that we need to be able to succinctly articulate? You know, I, I think that that's really difficult, um, but I but I think that I think th- to the extent that we can or we strive to be able to do that, um, I think there's tremendous benefit in being able to do that. Mm-hmm. I'd like to shift gears a little bit of it and talk about cultural competence, or some people call it cultural competency. How do we establish that within an organization, and what does that mean? Yeah, I think that's a huge question. Um, you know, I worked a lot in New York City child welfare system, and we had that as a as a question that the regulatory folks would come out and sort of look at our practice and to ensure that our practice was culturally competent and that we were doing enough in terms of cultural competence training. And when we pushed back a little bit on that to say, you know, what exactly do you mean by that and how do you define that, um, we ended up taking the question, they ended up taking the questions off the review tool um, because it just got so complicated. But I, I, I do think there's some, some common shared kind of thinking around that in terms of it being a philosophy on, on how you approach dealing with, with people. And, you know, I think that different organizations based on where they're located serve different cultural backgrounds, you know, people with different cultural backgrounds. And I think what it means is, 
um, to the extent that you've got people from different backgrounds that you serve, it really is our job to make sure that we understand that culture to an extent that we can work more positively with folks. And I can give you an example. Uh, I, I was facilitating a, a, a family meeting uh, for a, a child in child welfare, and it was uh, a family, um, uh, they were uh, Asian in background. And after we started, we started the process, and the, the dad really had his head down and did not make eye contact with the social worker who was facilitating the meeting. And afterwards, the social worker said to me, it's a shame, but boy, dad is just not a, not a discharge resource, is he? Mm-hmm. And I asked why, and she said, he was so disconnected from the whole process. He never looked at me, mm-hmm. and he never, you know, he never acknowledged what we were doing. And I said, you know, we really have to explore that a little bit more because actually in his culture, it was probably not acceptable to look this person in the eye. Mm-hmm. It was actually being respectful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we could, have, we could have gone in the wrong direction on that case. Actually, the, the child was reunified with the dad, and life has been good. So mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's a really, really difficult topic, and it's very hard to be, you know, culturally competent. Um, but I think it is contingent on us to really um, try to do that. Mm-hmm. And at least, you know, I, I, did a, I, I attended a training once uh, not too long ago where somebody actually attempted to really dig in deep and they had facial expressions and they had, you know, they actually had a lot of things um, that really were helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and the point that I'm really hearing you make is that I think, and maybe I'm just reading into it because of my cultural insensitivity, but I think that there's this, the whole kind of movement of cultural diversity and in order to really serve a culturally diverse population, you need to have cultural sensitivity. And I've seen the movement towards cultural competence saying the diversity is so great that maybe you'll never have expertise in knowing how to serve all people in who are diverse populations in you know the quote perfect kind of way but a cultural competence means that you are open to learning and that you actually have back to the cultural thing a policy in place that says we value cultural competence at our organization and how Absolutely. we practice that Absolutely. I, I, think, I think you're right. I think, you know, I think I have come to the realization for myself that it is going to be near impossible for me to become completely culturally competent for all of the different types of folks who I interact with on a professional level. But knowing that it is my job to try to, you know, to be culturally sensitive mm-hmm. and to, you know, and to try to understand a person I'm working with from a cultural perspective and and to try to learn about certainly the, the cultures that are predominant in the in the program that I run or that mm-hmm. I serve, I think is absolutely required. It, it really is. Yeah. We're going to take a break. Chuck, I, I really am enjoying talking with you, and I can't wait to come back in just a few minutes. And we'll be right back with Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. If you've ever wanted to know the inner workings of how auctions work, you'll want to tune in to Ed Spencer's American Auction View. Auctions establish markets and commerce that affect everyone in our country. Whether it's land, real estate, livestock, automobiles, collectibles, or household goods, people are turning auction items into cash in nearly every business market in the world. You can find out more about this unique and engaging industry every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And welcome back to the last segment of our show today. Jenny Fruma and I'm with Chuck Caputo. And um, this has been, I feel almost sad that the show's nearly over, Chuck. Me too. Let's I'm do waiting, it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting all this time to have a chance to talk with you, and I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think what we probably have been talking about is how leaders really do set organizational cultural climate and um, the ways that some of that happens and your experience in actually training people around culture and I'm sure within your role and your career having really made a difference to organizational culture. I want to shift gears um, a little bit and just kind of ask you for your last, you know, for the show, some of your thoughts, uh, things that you'd like to leave us thinking about. Yeah, uh, that'd be great. Um, you know, I did find a quote. I hate to bring anything sort of academic into this, but uh, I, I did find a quote that I just thought was so great. It, it was that, and, and I, I, unfortunately I didn't write down who it was from, but it said that um, leadership helps shape culture. Culture, in turn, shapes leadership, and they both drive performance. And I just thought that that was, you know, so relevant to what we were talking about mm-hmm. today. Um, and uh, I guess my, my final thoughts is that I that I really think that um, there's tremendous value in setting culture and paying attention to culture. Um, I think, as we briefly kind of talked about, the, the concept of CQI, the concept, concept of training and supervision and um, having mentors, um, the concept of looking at logic models, the concept of, 
you know, establishing outcomes and looking at metrics um, and really focusing on vision and mission and values. Um, they're just tremendously important pieces that really are the heart of what leadership's charged with doing. And as we said before, and you had mentioned that it was interesting to mention the board, you know, I see the board and I see the executive director and I see the senior leadership as, as really having an important role in doing this, uh, doing this culture setting work. Um, and, you know, I just, I, again, I think that the benefits are, are unbelievable. I think the challenges are also very difficult. But I think that the benefits are well worth it, and I think that we have an obligation to do that for not only our staff, but, you know, for our clients. And our clients deserve the best services possible, period. And our staff deserve to have environments that really enable them and empower them and help them grow and help them serve clients in the best possible way. And I think that that's the bottom line. Wow. And, and that is a great way to sum up everything that we've been talking about today, and I thank you for that. Now comes the question that we always ask our guests. Tell us about a leader that really resonates, either historical or present, or future for that matter, (laughs) who would really resonate with you as a professional and maybe even at a personal level, and what characteristics do they bring? Yeah, you know, uh, um, someone comes to mind who was a, a, recent, uh, a recent boss, um, executive director of a very, very large organization, um, but someone who, you know, really did exemplify a lot of the things that I, that I sort of just said, which to me were really important pieces. Um, he was a guy with an amazing sense of humor, um, amazingly down-to-earth and brilliantly smart, um, someone who had a very, very clear vision of where we were going and communicated that vision and communicated it often, um, repeated himself often in terms of what our vision was, where we were going, but also repeated himself often about values and, and, and the way he sort of established the organizational culture. There were clear guidelines. There were clear outcome expectations, job descriptions, had values integrated into them. Job descriptions had outcome expectations that were linked to strategic and short-term annual planning goals. Um, Outcomes and planning goals and objectives were linked to the budget planning process. There were so many things that were linked, and this was someone who, not only on a professional level, but definitely on a personal level, um, had a huge impact on me, and I really thought, this is the way to do it, and this is a big organization with a lot of employees, but he's able to do it, and he surrounded himself with senior folks who were also able to support that. And one of the things that he said that always stuck with me was, uh, you know, I hire smart people. I hire people that I think we can come together as a team. I hire people that sometimes are going to challenge each other and not necessarily always be easy to work with each other, but they'll challenge each other in the right way. And then I just give them a long leash and mm-hmm. let them go do the work, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I used to say that long leash was to hang ourselves with, uh, but usually I, I think he was spot on that the long leash was there so that we could go and do the work. And it mm-hmm. was a tremendous experience. Mm-hmm. And, and is that the same organization that you told us about where you would have kind of recognition and rewards? It is. Mm. It absolutely is. It was a big, big piece. It was a valuable piece, and we did it in different regions, and we did it often, um, but not often enough to, to sort of, uh, you know, lessen the, uh, cheapen the currency, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to do it too much where it becomes uh, uh, not important to people, 
but we did it in a way, and, and, we, and we put resources behind it, and we put time behind it, and we put senior people behind it, and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. What kind of rewards would people get or recognition? Well, we'd always do food, of course. Um, you know, <laughs> it's amazing at the workplace what kinds of things really have to go over really well. <laughs> food is always one of them. Mm-hmm. So we always had food. But we had, like, you know, a, a very nice uh, breakfast or a brunch. Mm-hmm. The executive director, board members would show up. We would do watches or clocks or those kinds of things that are engraved um, that would say for living the mission, for living the values um, that would be on, engraved on something. Um, all of the colleagues of that person would be there, their program staff. Um, it was like a mandatory kind of thing, and it, it just was an important thing. And it was money, too. Mm-hmm. You can you know tell what? I really like that idea. Can I, can <laughs> I steal like that, that idea? idea? You know what? A $100 check out of your budget once a quarter to mm-hmm. recognize somebody who's living the values mm-hmm. um, can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And in that way, um, really sustain culture. Exactly, exactly. I think sometimes recognition from peers is even more critical than from supervisors. And you know what? Staff are doing amazing things, right? Mm-hmm. Most, if you believe that most people come to work to want to do a good job, uh, that's, that is true to, in my mind. Most people who choose to work in nonprofits are coming to work because they want to help people and they're genuine about that. Obviously, you always have a couple folks that are, are coming for different reasons and you have to get rid of them. But people come to work wanting to do the right thing. And so peers watch each other and they see all of these amazing things that people do that are outside their job description. Which is really remarkable. Yep. And, and that's what makes it fun to come to work no matter exactly. how hard the work is. And that's why you and I have been doing it for many, many years. Many, many years. (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yes. Chuck, you mentioned a couple of authors that you really like when we were talking during the break. Yeah, you know what? You you have to, you know, seek out some of the folks who kind of, um, you know, you really can link with. But I'll tell you a couple people who really had tremendous influence on me. Jack Welch at GE years ago, um, who established the Six Sigma Six process, He's, he was an incredible uh, person when it came to sort of looking at vision and mission and, and getting out of people's way. Um, of course, Stephen Covey, who's no longer with us, but his book on uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and, and other books were, were really big to me. Some of the CQI thinking people was, um, were also really good for me, uh, Deming and uh, Drucker and those kind of folks. Um, cur- currently, I've been really paying attention to Jeff Weiner over at LinkedIn, Who's mm-hmm. the CEO? Um, people should check him out. He's he was in Forbes list of uh, some of the top CEO I think um, over the past year. But some of his practices around staff and um, culture uh, I think are really fascinating. There's a lot out there about this topic, and I think that speaks you know wonders to how important people really realize that it is. Mm-hmm. Well, I really want to say again how much I have appreciated. Um, you being a guest on the show, and let's not wait so long before we connect again. I loved it, Jenny, anytime. And um, Chuck Caputo, thank you so very much. And listeners, hopefully you will join us again next Wednesday afternoon for Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Be safe out there, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in. 
Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Thank you.